If you love all things gardening, why not join us at our Spring Fair from the 3rd to the 5th of May at Bewley in Hampshire. You'll find everything you need to kickstart the season. Find out more at bbcgardenersworldfair.com. See you there. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is not the sound of a stream running through the mountains. It's water from a leaking pipe trickling down a stairway. That's not a frog splashing into a lake. It's a piece of sheetrock falling into a puddle on a kitchen floor. And that's not a hiker taking a deep breath of mountain air. It's a homeowner gasping at the sight of a $12,000 water damage repair bill. 40% of homeowners have experienced water damage. Protect your home with the Moen Smart Water Monitor and Shutoff. Moen. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Accenture overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert. And I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert. And I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure. Because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast, brought to you by the team here at the magazine. Join us as we chat all things gardening with the nation's favourite experts. This week, as autumn really sets in, we're looking back at some of our favourite pod moments of the season. First up, we're returning to our first ever episode and a conversation with Monty Dom. Dealing with the cold and dark at this time of year can be challenging for many of us, but for some, getting out and gardening can help lift our spirits. Monty shared how while he finds this time of year a struggle, and he would prefer a warmer climb, gardening and working with the soil helps him find some relief. I mean, it's partly to do with this garden. If we have years like last year, it's so wet here and so sort of unconducive to gardening. I mean, there are jobs that have to be done. You know, there are leaves to be collected and plants to be put away and, and, and tulips. One of the things actually, it sounds trivial, but a really important thing that, that matters to me is um, all the bulbs and pots, for example. I mean, as you know, I have help in the garden here. And I couldn't, I couldn't possibly do it without help. But there are, I very, very rarely delegate planting. I like to do as much of the planting as I possibly can, which is 90% of it. Because it's important to me. It's that old thing of the soil, you know. And, and tulips in November 
are really important. But, and it's what you were talking about. It's season. So A, it's getting out, doing it. Some, and, and as you know, we grow a lot of tulips in pots. So there are thousands to be planted up. It takes days and days. Um, and we have to prepare the soil and you get the grit and you sieve it and you, you know, leaf mold. There's a palaver involved. Um, and then there's that thing is, okay, now we want to see you grow. So it's November and it's grey and there is December, which is going to be even greyer. Um, but it won't be long before those shoots appear, usually about the end of January, early February. And actually... I really get huge pleasure from all our early bulbs, the very early irises we have that start to appear by mid-January. So for me, once you get to Boxing Day, you get Christmas out the way. <laughs> uh, and I'm actually not as crude. I like Christmas. I'm, I'm very happy with Christmas. But I don't like, I, I'm happy up till, I'm unhappy up till Christmas Eve. You know, I, I really dislike it. It's really, it's really bad. Uh, but then we have Christmas <laughs> and that's family and I like that mm. and I like the cooking and, you know, it's lovely. And then on Boxing Day, I sort of felt, okay, right, let's get to grips with you. Let, let's, let, let enough, enough of this. Um, I'm not going to be beaten. I'm not going to be ground down by you lot anymore. Uh, it's, it's, it's time to fight back. And, you know, I mean, that's, it, it, it's still dark at five o'clock and it's still uh, cold, miserable, but there are things to do. And, and I, it's really important to me that, you know, I always sow chilies in early January. And if I haven't, I always sow some more sweet peas. And so I'm sowing and I'm, I'm preparing seed compost and I'm just, things are getting going. Many of us want to garden more sustainably. And in autumn, we might gather up leaves and make our own leaf mould as well as mulch beds with homemade compost. But what other ways of gardening help rather than hurt the environment? In episode 11 of season 2, Ari Anderson shared advice on being patient and using a bit of tough love, all to help garden in a more holistic way. Every piece of plant material that's in our garden is a way of being compost for us. So, you know, it's like sweeping up the leaves. I know that, you know, leaf mould is the new gold, you know, it is, well, it's the old gold, it's always been like gold, sweeping up your leaves, taking your cuttings. You don't have to have a great big compost bin, sometimes even just being able to put some things down in a, in a bag, aerate the bag, let it break down a little bit, and then be able to put that back onto your borders. It, it's free. And, and it's come from your plants feeding the next plants. At the heart of a lot of this is time. And getting a better relationship to time, having the time to do the research, taking a bit more time to go out and see whether you can maybe go and get your peat-free compost from someone else, taking a bit more time to experiment on composting, have a go at um, doing the cuttings. Time is, is, is such an interesting idea that like we're giving ourselves more time with our gardens and enjoying it. And I think through that, I know you've talked about observation as well yeah. and just being alert and aware, um, which I guess is, brings us on to the next issue, which a lot of people say, OK, it's all very well to sort of, you know, take your own cuttings, raise your own seeds and so on and so on. But what happens when the pests and diseases kick in? What's the sustainable way of keeping a healthy garden? I mean, a healthy garden... Um, in its truest form, is one where you let the natural cycle of um, predation come through, 
the, the natural biology um, to, to be able to, to work its way through the garden. Um, and, and I think it's a case of, you know, of course, even in wider environments, you know, we do get um, diseases um, that can kind of be prevalent. But if you think about some of our big diseases that are going on at the moment, like ash dieback or oak processionary moth, they are things that have come in to our environment from elsewhere in the world, where elsewhere in the world, their, their natural system can cope. So we have to remember that our gardens is a controlled environment, okay? So we are um, tweaking um, how we're putting plants together and, you know, and, 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 and manipulating um, 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 the space for ourselves, which is, which is great. That's the joy of it. But one of the things that we can sometimes forget is to allow our plants to become more resilient. You know, I'm what's I'm a, sometimes I think I'm a bit bit mean, if you like, with some of the plants. Now, at the minute, um, I I'm waiting to kind of do some work on my garden. So maybe rightly or wrongly, I've had that luxury of just going, oh well, go on, roses, you enjoy yourselves. I'm not going to cut you back. Just do what you want to, because I might move you in a couple of uh, seasons' time, whatever. But what what's happened in that process of letting things go, inverted commas, what I mean by that is that I've not been on top of everything all the time, spraying, cleaning, pinching out in terms of, you know, taking off every single last bug. So I'll give you a great example. So um Last summer, uh, you know, as we just went into lockdown, it was sort of early on, and I go out in the garden and I'm like, hey, Harvey, um, come and have a look. It's my stepson. And, and the Daphne Adora, which I've had in this garden pretty much since I've been here day one, was just covered in aphids, covered. And to the point where it was actually starting to defoliate the plant, it, it just kind of felt like it had come from nowhere. And I was like, oh, how on earth could I have missed seeing this, this amount of aphids? Anyway, so we started off with a little bit of just getting he to give him some fun because you know after he's done his uh, his work his schoolwork he'd get his little water spray out and he was spraying them off because you know just and picking them off and getting involved that way but they were clearly an issue. But then over the course of the next couple of weeks, in come the sparrows and the sparrows got involved and I kept seeing them in the rose bush which is next near near to the Daphne and before you know it they'd cleaned up. And, you know, and that's what I mean in terms of patience, observation and allowing nature to come in and to therefore feed those um, those sparrows. Feeding the birds a little bit less meant they had to go and have a look else what else was going on in the garden. So we did. We do like to feed the birds. But I was just saying just, ah, just a couple of handfuls less because we need them aphids sorted out. <laughs> Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I was worried we'd bring back the same team. I meant those blackout motorized shades. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Hall of Fame son. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. Go to Blinds.com for up to 45% off. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is a perfect time of year for tree planting. Yes, the ground will be getting harder to dig and cold, but as long as it's not waterlogged, now is the time to buy a bare root tree and get it in the ground. In episode 5 of season 5, Adam Frost caught up with tree expert Tony Kirkham. Here is Tony offering some tips to Adam on how to choose the right tree for your garden. I think that even when you're looking at the soil, you're looking at shape and form, you know, um, there's still attributes of, of that tree. And I think subconsciously, subconsciously you'll already be knowing in your mind what, what you want from that tree, you know, whether it's autumn colour, flower, bark effect, multi-stem, you know, all, all of that. I think um, the, there's a slogan out, uh, right tree, right place. And, and that is absolutely key. And there is so much information on the web now about trees. I mean, when you think of our predecessors that planted places like Burley that you run through every day, Adam, before you start work, um, they, they didn't have all that literature and technology that we have today. So they guessed, you know. And I mean, Burley's got some incredible lime avenues, which whenever I go there, I'm blown away by them. Um, but it's a big landscape, so you can get away with with those big trees, those clones of limes that are there. So I think, first of all, in a in an average garden, you probably haven't got much space. So you're looking for a small, uh, I almost call them pioneer species. So your birches, um, your um, your fruit trees like your your mallus, you know, the rosaceae, um, the sorbus, the rowans. They're all trees that. Uh, will usually fit into a small garden. So I think it's working out ultimately what size of space you've got and then looking for a tree that will fit into that space. Not when you buy it, the size you buy it, but thinking 10, 20 years ahead, what what's it going to be? And most websites, um, like, you know, most websites and most books give that ultimate height. Um, so you should be able to choose a tree that will fit that. And then, yeah, look at the soils. Are you alkaline? Are you acid? Um, and, and you can and you can gradually work your way through. And most garden centres, and let's what we should be doing, Adam, is is um, is supporting our nursery trade industry, and wherever possible, buying um, support. You know, buying from British nurses, British grown trees, uh, and helping them and supporting them, and, and that will improve our biosecurity. Um, 
and, and prevent movement of, of pests and diseases. And then, and, and there will always be someone in those nurseries that will give you that final piece of advice on, on space, et cetera. And then I think the most important thing is, uh, is that aftercare, which we all often forget. Um, but they're, uh, they need our help once they're planted. So they need nurturing, they need watering, uh, mulching, maybe that first, uh, part of formative pruning um to determine where you want those lower branches etc and uh, and and growing a healthy tree and the healthier that tree is the more chance it has of being successful and less chance of it uh, catching some um exotic pest or disease For us veg growers, there's still plenty to do in autumn, from sowing, tidying and ordering seeds to just getting excited about trying something new next year. Perhaps you like to stick to crops you love and know well, or perhaps you are more experimental and love a challenge. In episode 11 of season three, we caught up with Frances Topwell, who shared what was keeping her busy and her plans for what to grow next. At the moment, clearing. I'm, I'm, I'm really trying every year to do more and more where I just leave everything for the winter. <laughs> but it's difficult, isn't it? As a gardener, you have this inbuilt thing to just want to tidy. Um, so I'm, I am clearing certain bits, especially actually with the perennial veg. A lot of weeds have have been in there, and I haven't gone in there um, for fear of sort of destroying crops. But now that everything's going to sleep for the winter, I want to get in and really give it a good weed in amongst everything so that it has a good start next year. Um, weeding, clearing, planning for next year, buying lots of seeds, I've got my onions out, things like that. So planting, you know, autumn crops, broad beans, onions are the classics. Um, and then, yeah, getting things ready and and planning for how I'm going to approach things next year also dividing lots of things um I have a friend who runs a walled garden who um I'm I'm sort of she's going to let me use some of her space because I've run out of room on my allotment (laughs) so she's going to clear an area for me Um, and in exchange I'm going to divide lots of things for her to use in her market garden so that's that's the idea is sort of propagation really absolutely and anything exciting planned for next year or next spring any new veg or new methods you want to try? Um, no, I think I'm going to consolidate this year with what I've had last year. If, oh. if something amazing comes up, then obviously I'm going to be very tempted to buy it. Um, hoping for better luck with tomatoes next year than I had this year. I think everyone really struggled with the cold, long spring and then the not great summer and then the blight that came in everywhere. Um, so I'm just, yeah, getting my tomato cultivars at the ready i found i don't know if, if you found the same thing but i found that this year with it being such a difficult tomato year the flavor also wasn't great on them so i don't know if that was the cultivars that i was growing or if it was the season so it's um i'm getting some new ones and then trying the ones i tried this year again to to be able to make a comparison um and then also uh really expanding on my medicinal herb um collection I have I have quite a big collection already and the more and more I get into it the more interested I am just to try some new things so I've got I'm, I've got loads of herbs that I've got I've bought them they arrived in the post two days ago um and I'm going to start propagating from them and and growing more and more medicinal herbs and trying different ways of actually using them because I've, I've always grown them and I've always had an interest in particularly um old-fashioned 
medicinal, you know, like normal herbs, rosemary is great and kind of heals everything. Even things like garlic is great as a herb, as a medicinal herb for coughs and things like that. But um, all the kind of, it's, it's quite overwhelming and intimidating actually using herbs. It feels sometimes like this forgotten knowledge and I've been going to a herb course and learning more about it and speaking to lots of people I have a really good friend um who's been teaching me lots of stuff that she knows as well so I'm I'm trying to actually like really get to grips with herbs so that's my big plan for next year is herbs it can often be a bit hard to muster the motivation to garden at this time of year especially if the weather is against you and things have become overgrown but what if you have a body difference, or what is also referred to as a disability? In episode 7 of season 1, Sue Kent shared the ways she gets around her challenges in the garden. I would try and work out what part of the garden is, what job is overwhelming you, what part of the garden is overwhelming you, and and then specifically target one area at a time, really. Um, and you know, really analyse what it is. Because it might be the type of plants you're using. So, for instance, I used to have a lot of shrubs and now um, I had some secateurs I could use, but and I used to use my chin and everything. And my shoulders and neck got really badly strained. So I've replaced the shrubs with um, flowers and plants that I can cut with scissors mainly. So they've got thinner ah. stems. And, and I yes. keep, if I have got a shrub, um, I keep it small so that it, it regrows all the time with thin stems. Yes. So the choice of plants and also things like staking. I made some mistakes with my agapanthus. I bought two bigger agapanthus. The heads were too big for the bodies for my windy area. So there's more <laughs> work to be done with staking. So if a plant needs yeah. work, don't use it. You know, some of the most common, most popular, you know, people can be quite intellectually snobby about plants but sometimes mm. the really everyday ones are everyday because they're really good flowers and they're easy to maintain and 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 so yeah. don't worry about you know what people think you know choose the plant that's going to suit your ability to, to look after it I hadn't considered that before I think it's really interesting you know we say right plant right place and you think about your garden but actually thinking about the person tending to the plant is something that makes it a lot easier, as you say. I hadn't thought about it at all in terms of pruning and plants that are going to grow in a way that is is more accessible yeah. to gardening. And, and, and prickly plants and poisony plants. You know, if you're going to have to cut them and put your face right into them, you don't <laughs> you don't want something that's going to leak sap into your eye. I mean, your eyes are two, no. minutes, two minutes away from it. Because I love euphorbias, but I, I'd never have them because yeah. you know I'd want to fiddle about with them, and then I'd end up you know doing myself in. For me to think about using the tools that I've got in the garden without using my thumbs is incredibly challenging. So it's incredibly admirable that you're you're finding ways. What are the ways that you're doing gardening without using thumbs? So as I said, I do scissors. I've got like a pincer movement, you know, between mm -hmm. my two fingers. So I can squeeze. So any tools, I've got a really, a really brilliant um, pair of Japanese secateurs that I bought for my husband. I didn't think I'd be able to use them <laughs> They're lightweight and they're now mine. And um and they're quite they just need squeezing. I use my chin as well as my hand. So my chin becomes another bit of squeeze in my shoulder. And um so 
I use scissors and I use, I've got a new tool, uh, which is called a snapper, which is like a helping hand that disabled people would know or pe- uh, people with difference would know. And I think Mark had it on Gardens World and I had it. And I've had loads of inquiries since I've been on there. So, I've, you know, the, they must be making a fortune from me. Um, so uh, <laughs> that has been really good. And I don't know how long it's going to stay sharp or it's going to last. But um, so that means I don't have to get my face right into the plants. I can clip it from a distance, which is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, scissors, uh, that. And I've got very long-handled spades, very lightweight, very long-handled um, spades and fork that I found in the in a garden centre after looking for absolutely ages, very lightweight. I had one for years and then it broke. And then, um, so they're great. So it's, it's, it's tools that don't require thumbs. And um, I can, you know, I just sort of get around it. And then I, if I can't, I leave jobs for my gardener (laughs) or my husband going, do that. Autumn's often seen as a time for new beginnings and trying something different. Perhaps this applies to you and gardening, and you'd love to get to grips with the patch of earth outside your back door. In episode three of season three, Alan Titchmarsh recalls how he first became fascinated in nature and gardening and how he got started. It began with sowing seed and seeing the magic of plants spring to life, resulting in an instant love of growing things and creating something beautiful. Well, my mum did. She was quite keen. My dad never did. I could never work out why. By the time I'd become a gardener professionally, it was only then that he admitted to me that he didn't become a gardener because his father and his grandfather had both been gardeners. My dad became a plumber and they made him weed and gave him a penny a bucket full. And he thought, this is no job for a man. I'm not going to do this for a living weeding. Um, so mum encouraged me, I suppose. I remember the first thing I did, apart from, I was always interested in nature and gardening is a part of nature and grew out of it. I remember... I was born after the war, I was born in 1949, but we had loads of blackout material and I used to get a big sheet of blackout material, which is just black cloth, and go on the lawn and cover myself in this blackout material, make a hole in it, lie still and wait for birds to come. And I used a hide. I made a bird hide out of black blackout and so you were you were a twitcher. Even I back was then. a twitcher before I was a gardener. Uh, but then I just started. I used to go to Woolworths and buy packets of bees and Cuthbert seeds and sow them. And I remember the first seeds I said were mesembryanthemums. So the hardest thing was learning to say the name because it's quite long. And I could see this little patch of earth I scattered these seeds on now. And every day I would go out there to see if they'd come up. And eventually they did come up and they came up with my father's boot print in the middle of them so they grew up these mesembryanthemums with a footprint shape in the middle where the seedlings he'd crushed didn't grow i can see that now and i can still see tiny seedlings of mesembryanthemum which have got sort of speckles in them which are silver because they sort of refract the light and if you look at a seedling of a, of a livingston daisy a mesembryanthemum you see these little tiny glistening bits of silver and and a little red stalk and i remember being desperately disappointed that when I sowed a packet of alisum seeds from the picture on the packet they looked as big as hydrangeas and of course and you've weren't. got this tiny little they're only three inches high <laughs> that's my first uh, indication that never trust what it says on the packet or never trust the illustration you know. <laughs> and were you you know were you hooked 
straight away. I mean, it would be a romantic notion to say, yes, the minute I sowed those first seeds, I knew I was going to have a life of gardening ahead of me. Uh, was well, it I like that or was I... it a slow, a slow burner? No, it was almost instant. I didn't know I was going to have a, garden, a life of gardening ahead, but I really hoped I would. I, yeah, I decided there and then that this is because they came up. This is key. I wonder if those seeds had never come up. Those first two packets I'd sowed, I'd probably gone away and done something completely different, but they grew. And then I read about taking cuttings. I thought, well, you need, you've got a bit off and you stick it in and roots come. And I did. And maybe if that hadn't rooted, I wouldn't have. But they did. And so I was hooked, totally hooked from that first moment. Built this little polythene greenhouse from bits of old timber and polythene and had a spider plant and a false castor oil and some geraniums. And just totally there from being about eight, that was it. Never any um, desire to do anything else with my spare time. I just longed to leave school and go and do it for a living. Just yeah. that was it. Yeah, I mean, was there anything that you, you didn't like when you were gardening as a youngster? It sounds like the magic of the whole thing just captured you entirely. But Well, I think when you're little, when you're young, you only do what you want to do anyway, don't, unless your parents make you do something. And mine didn't make me because my mum quite liked gardening. So I suppose I could just choose to do the things I wanted to do. But once I'd got going with the seeds and the cuttings, uh, it was just growing things, really. I certainly wasn't into design in those early days. I didn't design a garden. It, it was a square or a rectangular piece of lawn with a board around it and before that there'd been a bit of a cabbage patch on it but I knew I always was into the beautiful side of it I've always grown stuff to eat but it's making something beautiful which is the big um, attraction for me of gardening is making a beautiful view I something understand. which feeds my soul you know thanks for listening to the BBC Gardener's World magazine podcast so, if you've enjoyed this episode, please tell others about it and rate us in your podcast provider app. And we'll see you next time.